0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. All right. Welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're here. Again, a lot of things you could be doing in the summertime. We're hoping that you're getting some family time in, making some memories, maybe taking some time off. I just want to encourage you, if you're in town, make sure you keep coming out. Don't take a break from your spiritual journey, amen, from your growing and in the things of God. If you're not here, then uh, we're glad you can join us online. So, I'd encourage you anytime to, if you're out of town or doing something else, make sure you catch up or stay, stay connected and, uh, with your family here and then with what God's speaking into your heart and your life. Uh, again, anytime that you're available to come, we sure would encourage that. It's great to be with each other in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. All right, get your Bibles out, 1 Corinthians 15. i want to jump in there in just a second. While you're turning there, we're going to be in part three of our series. We just want to remind you a couple things you already saw that um, next Sunday is Mission Sunday, so spend some time this week praying see what God would have you do uh, next week or the week after. I guess it'll be next week, middle of next week on the 5th. The, um, we're, the missions team is headed to Mexico, and so the 5th through the 12th, write those dates down. They're going to be in León, Mexico, with our sister church, Audible de Vida, and doing some great outreach. We're going to do some dental outreach. We're going to really connect with the under-resourced, some crusades, evangelism, events They're at the church to build up the body there. It's going to be an amazing time. Be praying for your team. Thank you so much for your prayers in advance, for your giving. Next week is Mission Sunday. Come prepared to give into the missions uh, Mexico mission uh, trip, and uh, just your pr- family get together this week, see what God would have you do, and just do what He asked you to do. And so, you can always sow into the kingdom that way. I want to let you know that SBXP is Wednesday night. It's the final. It's been an amazing time this month, Uh, doing uh, great events with the kids, and in here on Wednesday nights and Sundays as well. So if you have not been, you have not had an opportunity to come or bring your kids or other kids, come Wednesday night for sure. Everybody's going to be in here for a big family blitz. we got a group coming in that does kind of a Nickelodeon thing, kind of real over-the-top. family-oriented ministry, you're going to enjoy high energy, you want to make sure that your kids, your family, your neighbor's kids, and, but get permission if they can't come, uh, just don't bring their kids. But you can bring whoever gives you permission. How about that? And so, come and enjoy that. It's going to be a great time. And then uh, just, man, we're just looking forward to what's going to happen on Wednesday night. We've already had great services all the rest of this month already. And can I tell you, last Wednesday night, we had seven, oh, about 70 people get water baptized. Can I tell you how awesome that is? That was an amazing service. You never know what you're going to miss, so don't miss. Come <laughs> am be a part of that. Great things going on. All right, so, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, uh, working with this month uh, with the Children's Ministry and the SBXB Summer Bible Experience. Uh, the theme is victory. We're kind of looking at it from a, from a standpoint of breakthrough here. Here's our theme verse. We know through this Scripture, and we have much to be thankful for. Thanks be to God. Amen. We are thankful to God that He gives us the victory. He gave us the victory. You didn't have to earn it. It. you didn't have to win it you just have to walk in it he did all the hard work through jesus christ the sacrifice the payment jesus made enabled all of us to have access to a victorious life if jesus is your savior and lord and so that's available for all of us now the truth To be told would be that we don't always live a victorious life, but it's been fought and paid for for you. It's already been won. So, a lot of times there's obstacles or hindrances in our life that we have to work through, or where we're we're at in the series, break through some of those things to walk in the victory that's already been provided. Now a lot of times when we get saved, a lot of things God takes off our life. But for the most part, a lot of us have some things we still have to work through. It's like I think about this when God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage and slavery of 400 years from Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt out of Egypt, then he had to deliver Egypt out of them. Right? He got them out of Egypt, then he had to get Egypt out of them. So, a lot of times when we come to the Lord, we're delivered and set free, but we have some things we still need to work on. So, we got some areas of breakthrough in our life to walk in that victory. So, that's what we've been studying for the last two weeks and again this morning. And I was just thinking of something funny. I, I, I think it's funny. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Uh, so I'm thinking back last week after my message, just kind of what I said. I think about. Well, I wonder if that made sense. I hope that didn't come across bad or whatever. Hope people come back. <laughs> you know. But so thank you for being here. And so it was funny though. And I thought about being Father's Day, and then I started thinking about Mother's Day. And I thought about the message. Mother's Day was how to build strong families. And I thought last week on my message, I talked about how demons are real. And I don't know how that fit Father's Day, Mother's Day, but I don't know, take it for what it is, but the truth of the Word helped us find some areas of breakthrough in our life. And the reality is that there's, an oppos- there's opposition to our life. There's a real enemy out there. And so, we have to understand that. We can't deny that, because it's true. Whether we choose to believe it or not, it's really true. The Bible talks about that. We spent some time last week. You can go back and listen or watch. But uh, we need to know that. So, we know that we have the victory. Amen? It's already been won. We talked about the Scripture. We just need to know how to walk in that victory, because there really is an enemy out there trying to keep us from walking out of victorious life. So, we're actually going to kind of go from there, from last week, this week, kind of launch off into something off of what we shared last week. And again, I don't want to review. You can go back and listen. But let's take a look at John 8. Here's our scripture that we've used also. It says this, to the Jews who had believed in him. This is talking about believers, so this is written to believers. Now listen to how the wording is. To the believers, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Now, wait a minute. I thought I was your disciple because I'm a believer. Oh no, apparently there's more to being a disciple than just having Jesus as your Savior. Amen? So, listen, our salvation is not the end, but just the beginning. That's the starting point. From that point in time, we listen to, we hold on to, we walk out, we apply the teachings of Jesus. A disciple is not one who is just saved, a disciple who is one who is holding on to and living by the teachings of Jesus. Amen? And that's what we all want to be. We want to be disciples, but we still have opposition in our life. It goes on. You're really my disciples. Then, when you're walking out my teachings, the truth, you'll know the truth. Because you're holding on to it, the teachings, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone, which is interesting because if they remember their own history, they spent 400 years in slavery. And even now, when this is written, they're really in bondage to the Romans. And so, but it's like you and I saying, being in bondage, being a slave, are you kidding me? I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a Christian. I'm not in bondage. I'm not a slave. I, I, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to heaven." And that may be the truth, but you realize that you can open up the door to the enemy in your life you may be a Christian, but if you're not holding on to the teachings of Jesus and applying them to your life, you can find yourself in those moments of having obstacles and hindrances. He says, where Abraham's descendants have never been slaves to anyone, how can you say that we need to be set free? I'm a Christian going to heaven, but you need to walk out of victorious life on the earth. Jesus' answer was this, I tell you, everyone who sins, and we all have the ability to sin, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, it begins to call the shots for your life. In other words, you're not experiencing the victorious life like you could or should be, because you're listening to these other influences making different choices. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. There's a better life for you, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. To which we say amen, because we love that Scripture at the end. We don't necessarily like to walk through the Scriptures before it, right? Because it challenges us to live by the teachings of Jesus, therefore walk in the victory that's been provided. And so, I want to talk about that this morning, walking in that victory, how to be free indeed. Um, So last week we talked about something I want to pick up today and continue off of. And I want to try and explain why we have problems sometimes. We have issues year after year after year, trying to break through or break through some things. Let's take a look in Ephesians 4, 26-28. Here's where we were last week. In your anger, do not sin. So, you have a choice. Anger's not necessarily bad. I mean, sometimes you should get angry we talk about righteous anger and things like that. But you can't let anger get the better of you. You can't give in to that emotion or to that feeling, basically saying you have a choice. You choose. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not or thereby give the devil a foothold. If you don't close the door to your anger. You open the door to the enemy in your life. And this is written to the church in Ephesus. This is written to believers. So you make a choice. Even though you have the victory, you make a choice on how much of that you walk in. So the Bible says uh, it's okay to get angry, but then you have a choice on how far it goes. Resolve it, because if you don't resolve it, bad things will happen. If you don't resolve it, you give the devil a foothold so, we need to understand what that is and how to keep the devil from getting a foothold in our life. And if we've given him one, how to shut the door on that. And so, this idea uh, of even though you are bought with a price, um, you're a child of God, that you can still open the door up to the enemy at times in your life. And so, you see that all throughout Scripture. In fact, cover to cover, you see it through Genesis through Revelation. It's all throughout Scripture. And even though we have the victory in Jesus, we can open the door up and give the devil a foothold. And can I tell you, he is very wise. He'll outwork you, and he'll outweight you until that time if we're not aware of what's going on. So, Joel 2, 9, take a look at this. Here's what it says. They rush, they being the enemy, the enemy rushes upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves, and Jesus calls the devil a thief. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. The enemy's looking for a way in. He's looking for a way into Christians' lives. He's looking for a way into churchgoers' lives. He's looking for a way into believers' lives. He's looking for a way—he can't force his way in. He doesn't have that power. But you need to make sure that you got the doors and windows closed to him because he's looking for a way in. And so, uh, we do things that open the door to the enemy. Second Corinthians 10-11 through 11 says this. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking, so he's talking to somebody He says, anyone you forgive, I'll forgive also, or I'll also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that—listen—in order that Satan might not outwit us. He's pretty wise. He's pretty crafty. He's been doing this a long time, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So, Paul says, listen, make no mistake about it, that uh, unforgiveness opens the door to the enemy in your life. And the, and the sad thing is, it says we're not unaware—sad thing is, a lot of us are unaware of his schemes. And we're going to talk about a few of those today. That's my job. My job is to talk about how to shut the door to the enemy. I, let me give you a story. It was uh, several years ago in the house we used to live in. We lived on a very busy street. And so, one night—man, like morning, actually like 2 o'clock in the morning, I hear this real pounding, knocking on the door and it wakes me up. I'm a light sleeper. It wakes me up and I'm like, what is that? I look at the clock, it's two o'clock and I who could that be? It was very persistent. I was like I was hoping there'd go away, but it was very persistent. So I got out of bed and went to the door to open it up and it was a police officer. And then I got awake really fast. and I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? And so he looked at me and he said, Sir, your garage door is open. And my first thought was, Seriously? You stopped to tell me my garage, it's two o'clock in the morning. Thank you. <laughs> and he said, your garage door is open, and someone could come in through your garage into your house. And then I thought for a moment, thank you so much. Because I don't know about you, we do it now, but we need to do it now. But we, you know that door inside, that you go out your house door into your garage? We don't lock that because our garage door's closed, right? And so, the idea here is, listen, sometimes we need someone to tell us, hey, you better check your garage door, your window, your front door, your back door, because the enemy's looking for a way in. And he can't force his way in, but if you leave a door open, you better believe he's looking for an opportunity because he wants to mess with your life. It's his job. It's what he does. Uh, Let's uh, read this same passage in the message paraphrase. I love how it's worded. Listen to this. So, if you forgive him, I forgive him. Don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is, I'm joining in with with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. After all, we don't want want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. And so, we need to be aware of how the enemy tries to steal our victorious life, tries to take from us, and come in and, and set those obstacles in our way so we cannot experience the life God intended. And so, again, you see this idea here all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, about the enemy looking for an open door that we allow him to come in at times. Um, <clears throat> you know, my job is to tell you not to leave the doors or windows open. The question is this: what are these doors? And if there is one good thing about the devil, there and there probably can't be, but if there was one, it would be this: that he has no new schemes. He's not that creative. He does the same thing over and over and over again, and it's always in one of the three areas I'm going to tell you. Therefore we can find the answer, and we can find the antidote. But there's three things He does over and over again to try and get an open door into your life. Let's take a look in 1 John 2, 15-17. Here's what the Word says. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Listen to this now. For everything in the world—now here he's going to give us three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. These things will bring death to your life. These things can bring death to your marriage. They can bring death to your relationships. They can bring death to your peace, your joy your prosperity. But whoever does the will of God and shuts the door or keeps the door shut lives forever or experiences the life God intends, the victorious life, amen? So don't leave the door open in these three areas, which what we're going to talk about. And if you keep the door shut or if you shut the door, you can experience breakthrough or the life God intended and live victoriously. And so, that's what we want to take a look at today. So, let's look at the places or the doors the devil uses. Number one, we just saw it, the lust of the flesh. Our passions, I summed it up this way, our passions, meaning your appetite for stuff. Uh, things like, like the, to make you feel good, your flesh. You know, there's, there's a battle constantly going on between our spirit and our natural man. The Bible talks about it. We shared some of that last week. There's a battle going on. And it's things that your, your flesh wants. It's things that you think you need to feel happy. Can I just tell you, you cannot trust your feelings. We hear that saying, just follow your feelings. Just be led by faith. That's the worst advice you can give somebody. And the Bible even talks about that the heart can be the enemy of God. Because it will not lead you in the right way, it will lead you in the way of feelings. Your, they, your feelings will lie to you all the time. Our feelings need to come under subjection to the Word of God, amen, or the plan of God. And the enemy throws things at you to make you feel good. It's the philosophy of life that says, if it feels good, do it. And so, there's an open door to this, if it feels good, appetite. And a lot of it's in the area—let's just be honest, we, we're in church, i got to tell you, i got to give you the truth—it's um, in the area of sexuality. It's in the area of lust. And honestly, we have to be very careful, because that can be a stronghold. The the devil wants to give you an appetite for anything outside of God's standards. Number two, the lust of the eyes—I summed it up this way—our possessions. I want that. I want that. Or, how about this? I want it all. I want it all, and I want it. Now, we live in a society that values debt. Don't get me wrong, there's, there's some okay debt, like a house, maybe a car. But listen, I tell you, other than that, we have debt on a lot of things that we don't even need. We thought we needed, and they're broken, or we got rid of them, and we're still paying on them. Right? We get things that we want, we have to have, and the world feeds that, and we get ourselves in this place of debt, and we find ourselves, with, by falling into the trap of the lust of the eyes or, or wanting more of our possessions, it's, it's an appetite. It makes you think possessions can make you happy, and can I tell you, they don't make you happy. It just pulls you into this I want it desire. And then the third thing we saw in 1 John was this, the pride of life. I call it our position. I summed it up that way. We think way too much of ourselves. We elevate our human achievement, and we don't give God honor and credit where honor and credit is due. And so, we need to be mindful of that. Listen, and this one here, when you use the word pride, especially pride of life, this one is the only one of the three where God says not only that he doesn't like it, but he will oppose it. Can I tell you, let me give you some good, solid, pastoral advice this morning. You don't want God opposing you, (laughs) right? (laughs) You want His grace. You want and need His grace. So there are doors the enemy brings into our lives. However you say them, and I've chosen this morning to illustrate them with passions, possessions, and positions, but you might have heard it different ways. I've heard it taught this way, sex, salary, and status. I was taught this way in Bible school. I was taught this, beware of girls' gold in the glory. <laughs> right? That's on it. That's a good teaching right there. It's the temptation to feel, the temptation to have, and the temptation to be. And can I tell you, it's the same thing, just packaged different. It's the way the enemy tries to find an open door or window in your life. And it's all throughout Scripture. He doesn't have any new tricks. So we can learn some antidotes. We can learn some answers for this. And so, I want to show you a couple times in the Scripture, just to prove my point, in Genesis 3:6, Let's start there. This is throughout the whole Bible. This is how the enemy works. This is in Genesis. This is in the beginning, the very beginning of the Bible, where Adam and Eve are in the garden. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate it. Good for food. Pleasing to the eye. Desirable for wisdom. Let me show you. It's the same thing all throughout Scripture. So it says, good for food. She saw that it was good for food. Spoke to passions. I want that in me. I want to fill myself with that. I need that. My body needs that. I I want to eat that. The devil tempted her through her appetite. Then it said, pleasing to the eyes. Possessions. God says, I can't have it, but man, I sure want it. It's looking good. I need that. I got to have that. Look how good that looks hanging right there. God said, I don't have that. Come on. Something that good. And then it says, desirable for gaining wisdom, position. Remember there, back in that passage, Satan said this, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. He tempted her through position that elevate herself equal with God. And remember in the Bible, again, going now back to the New Testament, over to the New Testament, Jesus went out to the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days, and he was tempted of the devil. And so, take a look in Matthew 4, 3. It's all throughout the Scripture, and here's Jesus being tempted. He's been fasting for 40 days, and he's out in the wilderness. So, the tempter, of the devil came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, wait, maybe that's my temptation. I don't know. but for, Maybe it'd be Pandulce, right? I don't know. But it, so, so, here's Jesus out there, and the devil knew how to tempt him, so he comes and tries to tempt him with that. And so, he goes on to say this in, in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself off this. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone." He's saying, hey, throw yourself off the temple, and there's a crowd of people below him. He says, don't worry, you know—you won't hit the ground—that these angels will swoop down from heaven, and they will grab you in front of everybody and lift you up. And everybody will say, oh my goodness, look at him. Come on, you'll be the man, and they will worship you and think you're the best. He was appealing and tempting him with pride. And then it goes on to say this in Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. All this will be yours. All this can be yours. Again, we're looking at the same three things all throughout Scripture, cover to cover. The devil has no new tricks. So we can learn how to shut the door and keep out the devil. Now, if I could sing that kind of little calypso beat, I might, and my wife's hoping—no, don't, don't sing shut the door. You know what I'm talking about, right? Shut the door. Okay, maybe Cody can sing it. But anyway, so we need to shut the door and keep out the devil, right? Now you can't hear that without thinking of that little beat right there. Okay, so again, we saw all three things right there in that story, and it's always these three areas. He's coming through one, two, or all three of these doors. That's what he's trying to do, and you need to keep him from getting in so you can live a victorious life. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament—let me just throw this out there, I didn't put it in the notes—but all throughout the Old Testament you see the children of Israel struggling with serving other gods. Really there was three other gods they were tempted to serve all throughout Scripture. You studied it out in rather than the Old Testament. that was the, One was the God of Asherah, and the God of Asherah was the fertility and lust God. It was very sexual in nature, nature, which spoke to passions. Another was the God of mammon, which is material things and money. In fact, Jesus himself said that you can't serve both God and mammon. And so, in the last one that they struggled with, what they would serve, just three other gods they had an issue with, was the God of Baal. And that was the God of power and pride and position. All throughout Scripture, it's going to be the same thing in your life. The devil's going to come at you from these three ways. We see it in the Scripture. He's not changed. He doesn't have anything new. He just maybe packages it a little differently. They're designed to keep you from living that victorious life, So don't open the door. And so, if that's three things or three ways the enemy comes at us, then how do we shut the door and keep them out so we can live that victorious life? What's the answer then to these things? How do we shut the door? Let me give you that. How do you shut the door to the lust of the flesh? How do you shut the door to that? Well, to me it's obvious integrity. I'll explain it in a moment. How you shut the door to the lust of the flesh, integrity. Integrity shuts the door. Now, we think of the definition of integrity as being like uh, something like clean, perfect, and holy. That's not really the word. There's a different definition in Scripture. Integrity comes really—the word integrity, the first part of the word comes from a math term. The first part means integer, and it means uh, the unit of one. In other words, it means whole. So, listen to this. To have integrity doesn't mean to be perfect. A person of integrity is a person who's decided they're not going to live multiple lives. They're going to live one. Like we don't have a life that while we're at church, I, I live one way. While I'm at home, I live one way. While I go to work, I live one way. While I'm at the neighbors, I live one way. While I go to the ball field, I live one way. While I hang out with the guys, I live one way. While I'm at the grocery store, I live one way. While I'm on vacation, I live one way. So, integrity doesn't mean to be perfect, it means to be honest. It means to be open. I'm going to come to the grips that I have some issues, and I'm not going to hide them any longer. I'm going to take off the masks and be one whole person. Integrity is not being perfect, integrity is being honest. You don't need to be perfect, you just need to be honest. And so, if you're struggling in an area of lust of the flesh and you're trying to fight it by yourself, good luck. You can't, you can't do it on your own. God didn't design it that way. Well, I know, just, just God and I. God knows. God and I know. I'm, I'm telling you, that's it's not what he's talking about. You need a relationship with someone. You, need a, you don't have to tell everything to everyone, but you need at least one person you can tell everything to. You can't keep it hidden. You can't keep it a secret. We see that through Scripture. That just leads to destruction. So, we need to be vulnerable. We need to be honest with at least one other person, and that's what makes me so excited that in the fall when we launch out in our small groups and community groups, you need to get involved so you can build a relationship. See, it's not even like, well, what's there going to be about? What's going to be taught there? I want to go to this. I want to go to that. You know, can I just say it doesn't even really matter what they're being, what's being taught there. It's not about what's being taught. It's about the relationship. It's really about not what you're going to learn there, but it's who you're going to know, not what you're going to know, really. That's the starting point. Because that's where you'll build a relationship where people will pray with you, they'll stand with you, they'll call you when you're on the business trip by yourself, and your buddy will call up and say, Hey, what are you doing? I know you're in the hotel room by yourself. Did you block those channels? They'll say, hey, did you come back to the hotel right after work and hey, you're not out, you know, at the bar or whatever, socializing or whatever. Come on. come on. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're responding right now. I just gotta tell you that. I know it's not easy, but make me feel okay, all right? <laughs> I know I ran a whole bunch of people off last week talking about demons, but I'm just trying, you know, I'm trying to. Thanks for coming back, but you know it's a, it's this thing that the reality is we gotta shut the door to the devil, and so we need other people in our life to do that. We have that's why you gotta get involved in a church. Maybe not this church, but you gotta get involved in a church. Growth Track starts next week. That's a great place to start. Sign up for Growth Track there. You'll meet people. You hear about trees Then get in the life groups. Serve somewhere because then you're learning about you're learning people and building relationship. I'm telling you, it's a great way to shut the door to the devil. It's really not about what you do in those groups. It's about who you know. It's about relationships. Proverbs 5, 7-10 says this, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside. Now, this is Solomon speaking to his sons, people he cares about. This, this is relationship right here. Can I say it this way? This is Solomon's life group. Listen to me, life group. Do not turn aside from what I say. He's going to talk to him about getting into this lust of the flesh adultery. He says this. Uh, Keep, keep to a path far from her temptation. Do not go near the door. Keep the door shut to her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and, to- and, your, toil, and your toil to enrich the house of another." Because if you leave that door open, you're not even going to enjoy what you've accumulated. Somebody else will. You need to keep the door shut. You need to shut the door. We need to be honest, we need to be people of integrity. Uh, Romans 6, 12-14, message paraphrases this, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day, don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full-time into into the church life, into godly relationships, into life groups, into serving, into into places where people are going to pray for you, they're going to encourage you, you're going to be accountable to. Remember you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin cannot tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Keep the door shut. Keep it shut. Shut that door. Here's what you need to do right now then. Say yes to God and no to the devil. Say yes to God and no to the devil. The devil's lying to you right now. Don't listen to him. Shut the door. Okay, what shuts the door to? The possessions, the lust of the eyes. Here it is, number two. It's obviously this. Obviously, then it's generosity. Generosity. Every time we give, we break the grip of materialism and greed off our lives, every time. You know, God is a giving God. We know that. For God so loved the world, He gave. Whenever you give, that's when you're most like God, and now it's like, okay, now if I hadn't ran you off already, I'm going here with the giving, okay? But I'm just going to give you the truth, okay? So how do you shut the door and live free? You learn to live a life of generosity. You learn to live a life of generosity. Listen, understand this, it's not just your generosity alone, but it's prioritizing your generosity because God wants to know where he places in your life. He wants to know what places he has in your life and understand the Scripture says, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. You can't fool God. All God needs to do is look at your giving. That's how he set it up. But he's more—can I say this? He's not even so much as interested in the amount as he is in his position. Now, he gives us a guideline for the amount, we'll talk about it in a second, but he wants to know that he's first. And can I tell you, he doesn't want to just be on your list, he wants to be at the top of your list. You can't just have God on your list, because God doesn't play second fiddle to nobody. So if he's not at the top of your list, as far as he's concerned, he's not on it. Why does he have to play second, third, fourth, fifth to somebody else, something else? He's God. And so, understand, you want to break, or shut that door, rather, and have a breakthrough in that area of your life, generosity is the key. The key to shutting that door. Uh, He wants to know that he's first. Genesis 4 2 through 7. Let's take a look. This is talking about Eve giving birth to her sons. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks. He was a A herder, and Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. Both are equally important and valuable. But in the course of time—listen to this phrase—in the course of time, whenever he felt like it, just when he finally decided, when he decided, okay, I'll do something, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Whenever he was ready, whenever he determined it was good enough, time enough, he had enough, he was willing to give up something. Now listen to this. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the—what's this word? Firstborn, Not in the course of time when he felt like it. It was the first thing I'm going to do when one is born, I'm giving God the first. I'm putting God first. God's first place. So he gave the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Why? Because he loved animals more than vegetables? No. Because they put him first, he gave him the firstborn. But on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? You did this to yourself. You chose the order. I didn't choose the order. You chose the order. You, choose, you chose just in the course of time, you're going to bring me a little something. But your brother, however, he chose his order, and he put me first. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do what is right, will you not shut the door on the enemy? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door waiting for it to open. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You must shut the door and keep it shut and not let him in, even though he's crouching outside of it. (laughs) Generosity. And that's not my word. That's God's word. And Don't take my word for it. I always take these Scriptures home and study them out. That's what the Bible says. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I want you to know that there's a way to shut the door to the enemy in your life, a way to break through, to be faithful in your giving. And I honestly want you to live in the victory that God has provided for you. Well, your pastor needed to say all that, and I'm like, no, I I need to tell you the truth. But listen, God takes care of us here, but you need to know this for your well-being and your benefit to keep the enemy out of that area of your life from stealing from you. I want to tell you, even at the risk of perhaps someone judging my motive this morning, I'm really trying to help you. But if you're, if you're not a tither, and if you don't give faithfully, and if you don't honor God with the first of it, you open the door to the enemy that's crouching behind it, waiting for an opening. It's a principle where God wants to know his place in your life. And the fact the Bible says it's a test. The tithe is a test. Tithe means tenth part, or ten percent. And so, the number ten in Scripture always is used to mean a testing. So, God says a tenth. A tenth part and ten is the number of testing in biblical numerology. It always refers to testing. So it's a test for you. And so let's take a look. A, a pastor put something together here. I want to share it with you to prove the point. It's the testing of ten. How many, and let me give you these, you've shout out the answer together. How many plagues were there when God tested Pharaoh? Ten. ten. How many commandments are there? Ten. ten. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Ten. It wasn't as strong. You may not know that, but can you see a pattern here, people? Okay? All right. All right. How many times were Jacob's wages tested? Ten. How many days was Daniel tested? Ten. How many virgins were tested in Matthew? Ten. How many lepers were tested in Luke? Ten. How many days of testing mentioned in Revelation? Ten. How many disciples are there? All right. I heard some tens, though. Some of y'all talk to first-service people. All right? So, just throwing a little— I thought it was time to laugh just right in the middle of this intense tithing moment. But the reality is God put that there for a reason. God actually says, test me in this. God gives us everything we have, and He wants us to return this portion back to Him to show where He is in our life. Malachi three ten through 11 let's read it. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, into your local church, where you're fed, that there may be food in my house, and try me now. Another translation says, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the right door, the right window of heaven, and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough for you to contain it. And I will shut the door on the devourer for your sake, and I will shut the door on the one who tries to destroy the fruit from your ground, and I'll shut the door on the one who—so your vine won't won't fall before it's time. The fruit won't fall before it's time. Shut the door on the devil. Listen, you can believe what you want about this principle, but it works. It works. We don't give to get. We give to honor God. We use what we give to make a difference here and around the world, and if you feel you can't Maybe trust me. I'm the pastor. I have to say that. Then find someone here who follows this principle, and there are people that do, and they will tell you that it works. It's a principle of God, a principle of God, amen? So here's the principle. Give God first of everything. Give God the first of everything. You're here today. You're giving Him the first of the week. Sunday's the first day of the week. In January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. We give Him the first part of the year. The first words out of your mouth in the morning, you should put them first. Honor God. It shuts the door. Here's the last one. What is the answer then to the pride of life? Obviously, when you look at the answer to pride, the answer is humility. Humility. Practice humility. It is so important for us not to think more of ourselves than we should. That we need to acknowledge that we are nothing, can do nothing without God. We don't get to attain things because of our own strength and ability, but it's God, and we need to acknowledge Him. Listen to this quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Honoring God. Honoring God. I can't live another day without you. I can't do another thing without you, God. There are a lot of ways you can express humility to God. I mentioned prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is a great way to humble yourself before the Lord. Giving and serving, great ways to humble yourself before the Lord and acknowledge Him. Praise and worship. Humble yourself before the Lord. And let me say this, I might as well say something here, because if I I didn't get you run off by the demons and by tithing, you know, I'm going to talk about worship for a second. Because when I talk about humility or see humility in Scripture, I believe one of the most powerful expressions is worship. And I know that we come and we sing songs and stuff, but not everybody worships, and I think you need to consider that. I know when I read in Scripture, the Bible says that we come to Him with hands lifted up in surrender, that we lift up holy hands, that we lift up holy hands and bless the Lord in the sanctuary. It's what He likes, so it's what we give. It's not about my feelings and emotions, and I know I've had those discussions. It's about honoring Him. And I know, and I know, and hear my heart in this. I know that some people say, well, it's just not me. It's not my personality. And I would say, well, when did it become about you? Come on, can I preach for a minute? When did it become about you, your comfort? It's all about God. It's about getting lost and not caring who's around you, and humbling yourself before a God who is the name above all names. There's no more powerful name, there's no more wonderful name or beautiful name. It's about surrendering to Him and honoring Him with everything you are. Can I tell you what? Pocket praise doesn't cut it. I may have just ran a whole bunch more of you off, but hey, my heart was right. My heart's right. All right. I'm trying to help you. What I'm trying to help you do, I'm trying to help you come and have this, hand, this room full of raised hands. No, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to get you to shut the door on the devil by humbling ourselves and honoring God. Let's get him out of our lives. Shut the door on them. Keep them out. Hey, if God didn't care, why would he write all that stuff then? Be careful. We need to honor him, humble ourselves. Revelation 3, 7 says this, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, he says. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut, in which we'd say, man, I want that door. How do I go through that door? And here's his response. I know that you have little strength. I know that you're not operating in your own strength. I know that you can't do this without me. I know that you acknowledge me. I know that you put me first, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You're not embarrassed to proclaim his name. You're not embarrassed to let people know who you serve. You're not embarrassed of God. You know what is that? Humility. Shut the door on the devil. Humility. You can't do it without him. You don't deny him. It's the ultimate sign of humility. John three thirty says this, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. And here's my last point. Develop a lifestyle of prayer, reading the word, and worship. Humble yourself before God. Don't give place to the devil. Shut the door. Live free. He is a good and faithful God. Amen? We hope that you enjoyed this message.